Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am the host of Independent Thought. My name is Desmond Price. No matter where you are in the world, I want to thank you for giving me a few minutes of your day to hear my thoughts. As always, we have a great show for you today. Now here are our topics. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Independent Thought. My name is Desmond Price. Thank you for joining me once again for another episode of this podcast. Uh, For those who have not already, please follow me on Instagram. That is the best place to keep up with this podcast. I post things to my story daily, so it is the best place to keep up with Independent Thought. Uh, So for today's episode... I will be having uh, my main segment and then a guest segment as per normal. However, uh, my main segment today, I think is gonna be broken up into a, into uh, a couple different uh, places here. It occurred to me that while I was uh, preparing for this episode, that the topic that I wanna discuss might be a little bit too long for one episode. So what I'm going to do is sort of break up this conversation into two. And so if you are already subscribed to my podcast, don't worry. Uh, But if you are not, go ahead and subscribe now because part two of this episode will be coming out in a bonus episode uh, that you will see if you are subscribed. So definitely subscribe to my podcast now so that you can get the second part of this episode. With that being said, let's dive right into the episode. So... We are officially now in a Biden administration. And as someone who has a political podcast, I had to think to myself, what is it that I want to cover? Now, I know that during a time of a Democratic president, the media is a lot more lenient with their coverage of said president. So it might take a couple of weeks for something truly worthy of talking about to pop up. Now, I know that there are a bunch of things happening in the news right now. Uh, Biden raising the minimum wage of federal employees and pushing for uh, DACA to be uh, reinstated, uh, joining the Paris Climate Accords once again, uh, getting reinvolved with the WHO, uh, implementing a mask mandate. There, there's a bunch of things that Biden is doing right now that could be worth covering. But I felt as though maybe because we're now exiting the Trump era, maybe the things that Biden is doing just don't seem uh, as newsworthy as what I'm used to from a president, which isn't entirely fair, but there will be time to talk about Biden later. Today, I felt like it was prudent to talk about some of the subjects that I've been wanting to talk about, regardless of what's going on currently in our politics. So I had a long list of topics that I wanted to discuss in general outside of just the day-to-day goings of Washington. And this topic was one that I have been coming across time and time again the last few months, and I just felt like it had to be talked about now. I've been kind of hesitating a little bit to cover this subject because it does seem a little heavy, but it does feel as though it is the time to speak about it. What is that topic? The topic is concentration camps. And no, I'm not referring to Auschwitz or 
those that existed back in the 40s and the 30s uh, over in Germany and Poland and those nations over there. I'm talking about modern day concentration camps. Uh, currently, there are allegations, which don't seem to be allegations, they seem to be a foregone conclusion, uh, that China has concentration camps in the northwest part of their country, an area known as Zhenyang. It is a northwest province in the country. And so before I get into all of the specifics about what's going on in these camps, why are people going to these camps, you know, and just all of the details surrounding the story, I first want to say that the reporting that was done that I researched was done by Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, uh, The Economist, the BBC, and Fox News. I used information from all four of those sources. So if you are interested in learning more about this subject, and I highly recommend this, please, uh, you can reference those uh, companies as far as where you can go find some more information yourself, or frankly, just Google China concentration camps. I'm sure you'll find some information about this subject. So starting off, let's just put the cards on the table. What is a concentration camp? by definition's sake. I know that we all know what it is in theory, but let's just spell out exactly what it is. It is a place where large numbers of people, especially political prisoners or members of persecuted minorities, are deliberately imprisoned in a relatively small area with inadequate facilities, sometimes to provide forced labor or to await mass execution. Now, I'm glad that I looked up that definition myself, because I had always just thought of concentration camps as being just places where they just mass killed people. I hadn't always thought of them as also a place where you would provide forced labor. Even though I've seen reports of that from the Holocaust, I always just thought concentration camps death, not concentration camps slavery, basically, which is what this is. When you are talking about forced labor, that is slavery. The people in question are referred to as the Uyghurs. The Uyghur people have inhabited this area of China known as Zhenyang for over a thousand years. Now, the Chinese government has always had a disdain for the Muslim people. Um, there have been reports that high-level members of the Chinese Communist Party uh, think of Islam itself as a mental illness and say that Muslims are a cancer on their country. Now, we've heard some nasty rhetoric about people before, so this isn't exactly, you know, new to hear that there are some out there who view Islam in such a disdain way, but it is really troubling when officials in a government, let's, let's just be fair, China is now the second most powerful nation in the world, that they are openly being, you know, just not only against a major religion in the country, but we're about to see the lengths that they're willing to go to just to apparently eradicate this religion out of their, out of their country. Um, so, while there has always been this feeling around the Uyghur people, who are in fact uh, Muslims, most of them, 
Uh, it wasn't until after 9-11 that the Chinese Communist Party used that, what happened in America, as a precursor in their own country to add restrictions on the people uh, that were Uyghurs living in Northwest China. And because of this, hostilities kind of like ballooned in that area, uh, culminating with attacks uh, by terrorists, by domestic terrorists in that country uh, over the course of a couple different years. Now, this led to their current president, Xi Jinping, creating legislation that they referred to as um, strike hard against violent terrorism. And they used this legislation to turn Xiangyang into what is now a virtual police state. And so when we hear about things like police states, you know, you'll think about uh, 1984, you'll hear, you'll think about what, well, well, basically Fox News is always saying that the Democrats want to turn America into. Um, but yeah, it's always this idea of being a dystopian future that hopefully people will never see, or you think of maybe the Hunger Games, or maybe like what the Matrix turned into, but this is a real you know, reality for people currently. This isn't some like far off land that, you know, does not exist or will not exist for decades to come. This is happening currently. As of today, there are people living in a police state in Northwest China because of how they worship and how they look and how they were raised. In these Uyghur neighborhoods, the Chinese Communist Party has put surveillance cameras in front of every house to track who comes and who goes because they want to know exactly who is interacting with everyone who is a Uyghur and how they are possibly gathering or not gathering. And the, the surveillance goes way beyond that. In fact, they are also given uh, apps to add onto their phones so that Uyghurs all everything that they do on a cellular device can be tracked. They are tracked out of their homes as well, as there are facial recognition cameras that are placed all over Xiangyang, mostly to track Uyghurs to know exactly where they're going and what exactly they're doing. And if that, you would think that wasn't bad enough, they are also banned from doing things like going to mosques, which is, you know, in Islam, that is a place of worship. That'd be equivalent of telling someone that you couldn't go to church. And not only are they banning people from most of the mosques in Zhengyang, but they're tearing them down. So they are tearing down some of these mosques that have stood in China for over 800 years. China claims that they're not doing this, but that we actually, the British government has unveiled satellite images of where mosques were standing in 2017, and then in 2018, they were no longer there anymore. They were bulldozed away. So there's a systemic attack in China of trying to basically eradicate this religion, and it goes further than just getting rid of their of their mosques, because even the ones that are still standing, they have pictures of Xi Jinping inside of these mosques at all times, so that when they're praying, they can always see the face of the Chinese president. But outside of the religion itself, they are also being told that they are not allowed to name their children anything that is quote unquote too Islamic. Their language is being banned 
from schools and from most public sections of Zhongyang. And their families are constantly being visited. So the Chinese Communist Party has people come into the homes of Uyghurs and constantly kind of surveil the house, make sure nothing is quote unquote dangerous in the house. And they give these full reports to the Communist Party to make sure that everything in the house is the way they quote unquote should be. And then people who visit these houses also spend time with young Uyghur children to tell them all the glorious things about the Chinese Communist Party. And just when you would think that maybe that that invasion of privacy was not enough, they're also taking Uyghur graveyards and they are unearthing the graves, bulldozing the sites, and turning the former graveyards into happiness parks. I, I got to tell you, everyone, as I was researching this story, I was honestly getting sick to my stomach because, you know, a part of me is just, you know, thinks to myself, well, I, I'm glad that I don't live in a country that does things like that. But then I quickly just removed that thought out of my head because, like, this is not just some, like, random, like, dystopian, like, era. I mean, you know, this is, you know, we're always talking about, like, how does racism exist in America in the year 2021? You know, how is, you know, like, how is a police state thriving in a first world country in 2021? And why is it not getting enough attention? And the, I, I just could not wrap my head around what I was listening to. I mean, these people are living in an actual surveillance state. And I haven't even gotten to the worst part yet. Because the worst part is what exactly happens when you are deemed too dangerous, even in this police state. Because the point of this police state is to kind of detect threats. And so whenever the Chinese Communist Party perceives you as a threat, that's when you get sent to what they are calling their re-education camps. I will call them by their actual name, their concentration camps. That is what happens when you get out of line. And the Chinese Communist Party has what they call 75 indications of religious extremism. And they put it into what they have called a predictive policing system. Think of Minority Report, basically. And if, for those of you who haven't seen Minority Report, it is a movie where in a future dystopian world, you know, surprise, surprise, uh, they use basically a system that allows them to predict crimes before they happen and then put people in jail for crimes they never committed. And that is honestly what is happening in China right now. They are using this predictive policing model based on their 75 indications of a limit of, of, uh, 75 indications of religious extremism to put people in these camps before they've even done anything wrong. Now, some British journalists have been investigating this for quite a few years now, and they were able to eventually ask some members of the Chinese Communist Party about the efficacy of this system. And the Chinese Communist Party told them that they would rather send people to re-education camps who quote unquote might commit a crime, then wait for the crime 
to actually happen because the Chinese Communist Party is framing this in their own country as a good thing because they are preventing terrorism from entering China. And that's how they're selling it to the people over there. Honestly, there is so much that needs to be said about this issue. And unfortunately, I was just not able to get it all into one episode. So what I'm asking you all to do is please subscribe to my podcast because I will be explaining in my bonus episode this week exactly what is happening in these camps, how it's tied to companies in the US, what exactly is our government doing about it? And more importantly, what can we the people do about what's happening over there? Because too often I'm giving everyone stories about what's going on in our world. And I unfortunately have not been doing a good enough job of explaining what we should all be doing to combat some of these injustices that we are seeing in our world right now. So for those of you who still have not, please subscribe to the podcast. I will be breaking down the second part of this coverage in my bonus episode, which will be released in a few days, and you will see it if you are subscribed to the podcast. With that being said, I we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, I will be joined by my guest for this week. Stay tuned. Hey, Indie Thought listeners. Has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? Well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode. Bathing Beauties Beads is a full-service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at BathingBeautiesBeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order. Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage inspired clothing, shoes, and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf, and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the luck. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at bettysdivine.com. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Independent Thought. My guest today uh, is Vladislav Frederick. And thank you so much for coming on to the show today, man. I really appreciate it. 
Hey, thank you so much for having me, Desmond. You're doing uh, awesome work. Hey, thank you. I really appreciated that. I know that um, for the listeners out there, uh, I, you know, reached out to, you know, this guy, um, I feel it's like a few months ago, just interested in your work that you've been doing. Uh, you were talking about how you've been doing canvassing for the Democratic Party. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, for uh, a canvassing group that uh, was Democrat, but didn't, wasn't allowed to specifically, you know, say they were behind any one campaign. Okay, tell us a little bit more about that work. Like what exactly, you know, does the life of a canvasser look like? Because I know things that we always hear about in the political world, but we don't really know what the day-to-day -day life is actually like or what exactly it is that everyone does who's involved in that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a lot of grinding down on lists, uh, you know, lists of voters to reach out to. And uh, the canvassing experience was certainly interesting this year, given COVID. Uh, so I worked the last six months in canvassing, but I actually only had one month on the ground door knocking before the organization made a nationwide transition to phone banking. And I mean, I agreed with the decision full heartedly, even though the data says in-person canvassing gets you some better results than being on the phones. It still kind of felt weird having so much human contact during this unprecedented time. And uh, especially when I was like knocking on the doors of folks in their 70s or 80s who are especially susceptible. But uh, anyway, um, to tell you more about canvassing, um, you're, yeah, you're literally just grinding down on a list of people. You're trying to reach as many people as you can. And uh, depending on what group you're canvassing for, Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, whoever you're canvassing for, you've got a specific list of candidates you're probably trying to push and a uh, specific political platform. And uh, you're just trying to push that to as many voters as you can, have as many conversations as possible. Yeah, now, so just for some people who are listening at home, because I have you know, people who are listening from all over you know, the country, really, uh, you are based out of um, Montana, correct? Yep, based out of Montana, um, city of Missoula. Although when we were doing our phone banking, we got to reach out to 20 different battleground states in the country. So I definitely got acquainted with uh, a lot more uh, state level um, situations than just Montana. So what got you started in this kind of work in the first place? I know that everyone kind of has like their different like reason about why they got politically active. Like what was it for you that made you think to yourself, I want to be more engaged and you know, led you to canvassing. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I had done a bit of volunteering uh, in the past few years for Montana Conservation Voters, which is like a local derivative of the uh, League of Conservation Voters. And uh, I really liked the volunteering I did with them. I uh, liked the idea of helping push a progressive agenda, progressive bills, uh, progressive candidates. And, uh, and then about six months ago, I was trying to get out of my uh, previous job and uh, saw some canvassing opportunities come up. And uh, kind of given the way things have been in America the last four years and how big this November election was, I just thought, yeah, what, there's no better time for me to uh, fully jump into canvassing, is there? No, no, definitely not. I mean, that's the one thing that I was definitely promoting when I was doing my last few episodes of the podcast. And prior to that as well, was that I feel like more people needed just to get involved in the political process, no matter how big or small the commitment was. So I definitely applaud you for doing that. Uh, the question I have for you now is, you know, in the midst of doing canvassing, did you, what did you like about the process and what were some of the things that you didn't like about the process? 
Absolutely. Uh, so I'm going to just start off with the positives here uh, because there, you know, there are positives and negatives to everything. Uh, it really does feel great when you speak with a genuinely undecided or ambivalent voter. And by the end of the conversation, they've either made a decision or expressed a greater willingness to invest in uh, the political process. Um, honestly, most of my victories as a canvasser came when I was able to illustrate to such folk that local level politics will have an immediate effect on their lives you know particularly for people who are ambivalent you know have i think there's a lot of those folk out there the federal level stuff can seem too conceptually broad for them to buy into kind of like it's too overarching and polarized and it's just so far from their immediate day-to-day -day struggle as to almost have no meaning. But when you tell them, hey, there's an upcoming bill that will make our buses run on Sundays and run later every day, you just have to vote yes. Suddenly there's that immediate impact. I mean, I've had to go to go without a car for a few years and I've relied on public transportation throughout my life just to get to work and survive. So if I found out I could make it so I don't have to sink money on a taxi or stress finding out a ride if I work Sundays, that'd be huge. Um, and you know, that bill just happened as a side note here in Missouri we just passed the bill to expand our mountain line so uh, it works on Sundays and works a little bit later. Uh, so that was a great local victory for us. Um, but maybe also there's a vote on a local gas tax increase and the money from that will go to fixing some annoying potholes or improving the resources of our local schools for our kids. I mean, this is just to say always there's something local or state level on the docket that you can find a personal reason to invest in even when the federal level struggle seems maybe too bureaucratic and far far off from your immediate life so that's definitely like the positives that i found in canvassing and phone banking when you can make a person care more and uh i will just add also that uh door knocking as opposed to phones was definitely the easier avenue for this uh for getting a decent response uh you know it's harder to swear at a human being standing right in front of you that's a fact i also you know for those who don't know i did a brief you know a bit of canvassing uh just this past like, election cycle and it's uh it's amazing some of the you know how bold certain people can be when they don't have to look at you face to face <laughs> oh that's a very kind way to put it desmond <laughs> yeah well you know trying to keep it a little pg but yeah it, it was it was a very it was a very interesting thing you know me personally i'm the kind of person where um i don't really take too kindly to that so i uh, i know that we were supposed to kind of like you know talk to them a little bit more even though some of them were being a little hostile you know i wasn't raised like that yeah, uh, so whenever I would encounter hostile people, they would always encounter a hang up. So just don't really have time for that. But <laughs> tell me a little bit more about, um, you know, uh, what were some of the things that didn't work? You know, I know that like just being in that space, you know, it, just in any job in particular, there's always like, we're always thinking of ways like, oh, this process could be improved by X or it could be improved by Y. So what do you think could be done differently to improve that? Absolutely. So I've been thinking on this and uh, while I might kind of bring up some specifics, I feel like my answer is going to be a little bit more uh, assessing or criticizing canvassing as a whole in this country and uh, how I kind of feel that political outreach has become very short sighted for us. Uh, so like even though you can, uh, you know, run into ambivalent people and sometimes give them a reason to care. I feel like this commercial structure of hard marketing candidates to voters just four to six months before an election can also have the opposite effect. It uh, can be a little short-sighted, kind of spam markety, and it can run the risk of 
making people who normally would care more ambivalent by the end of the cycle when they've had their door knocked 30 to 50 times and have received upwards of several hundred calls from unknown numbers, most of which they probably haven't picked up. Even strong Democrats and progressives I spoke to, or just, you know, people on the conservative side too, who generally buy into this system of, uh, you know, political conversation, they've told me before the end of the cycle, they'd be putting up no soliciting signs or blocking unknown numbers on their phone because they'd be sick of it. It's, uh, it's sensory overload and it's diminishing returns. It's like when you just scream the word vote nonstop for four months, there's a, a semantic satiation, the effect where one word is repeated enough times it uh, starts to lose facts. meaning. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to, I'm going to cut in really quickly here. I think everyone in our country can all agree on one thing. In this hyper-polarized times, we can all agree that someone needs to ban robocalls. Oh my goodness, yes, absolutely. Someone, anyone needs to ban robocalls. Like, I think everyone in this country can all get on that same page, except for people who own those companies, but please continue. No, that I really love that, and I think that feeds exactly into kind of what I'm getting into, which is where our politics have become too surface level. I mean, we have elections every two years, yet all of the large packs in this country, most of the candidates, tend to sink their budget into that narrow several-month window before the election actually happens. So, yeah, our politics are inherently more surface level now. Even the in-person conversations with voters lose much of their deeper meaning when you and the voter both know you're working off a script and at some point you're mandatorily going to plug one candidate and or put down another candidate in that conversation and uh it becomes more of quick quick gratuity advertising as opposed to higher level engagement um bringing out some of our uh, bad capitalist roots there uh because those of the biggest budget will be making the most pokes at voters and therefore that means they're most likely to succeed and it's a weird rule that campaigns have now that you don't even start advertising until you know you can advertise continuously from when you start until the election happens. Say you start advertising for a November election in June, but you don't have quite enough money. So you have to take a month off in November. All the data says that's bad because everyone will forget you in that one month off. You'll fall off the radar. And the reason the data is saying that is because we've trained this sort of Skinner box conditioning into our voters. Skinner box is the experiment where the rat's pushing a button to get a treat. So it's like we have to be pushing the voters button nonstop to get our treat, their vote, even though this has the dual effect of reminding them we exist and at the same time, making them care less about our existence. And it's like, this is how both sides, Democrat or Republican approach politics now, kind of uh, grazing the surface. And I feel like there's at least one big mindset shift that would need to happen to address this. It doesn't really seem, you know, like overly effective, right? I, I feel like, you know, maybe correct me if I'm wrong here, but it, it still feels like a lot of people don't really know why they are, you know, so passionate about the people that they're passionate about. I know that when you talk to somebody about politics, it's usually the, the answer that they give you is like, I feel like they're like, oh, I don't really know that much about politics. So I feel like we're spending a lot of time like talking to people, but we're not doing enough time like really educating them, you know, like on what all of these issues really mean and how they impact them. I feel like there's a really a deep like chasm between, you know, people's understanding about how politics affect them and where they're at currently. Do Absolutely. No, sorry to interrupt, Desmond, but absolutely I feel that way. I mean, it's when we're going on such a marketing level focus, we're inherently not getting 
deeper into the issues. We're cherry picking the, uh, you know, the most interesting surface level media things that have been reported on in the last few months. He said this, she said that, and we're like really upholding these few like kind of buzz topics as if they're the entire representation of what that candidate's going to do in office. Yeah, it, it doesn't seem like a good long-term strategy if you're trying to really just like build a true understanding of politics. But what do I know? Maybe they're not trying to build a true understanding of politics. Maybe they're getting exactly what they're trying to set out for. But that's, you know, that's just one opinion. But, you know, speaking on recent events, um, I, I have to ask you about the election itself, just because mm -hmm. it is current news. So how did you react? I know we all know what happened as far as the election is concerned. You know, Joe Biden you know, defeated Donald Trump. But I'm very interested in how Donald Trump has been reacting since like the election ended uh, with his whole like basically refusing to admit that he lost. Uh, how, how does that like how do you see something like that? Do you think something like that is dangerous at all because i personally do but i wanted to get somebody else's thoughts on it this whole like stop the steal campaign that he's on currently no i mean it's absolutely like this kind of iconically like corrupt like lower level tactic where you where you see this authoritarian leader in some country doing everything they possibly can to win and to like stay in power and that's exactly what it feels like i mean you said as we all know joe biden won and it's like we all knew and yet simultaneously didn't know at the same time for the last like what month or so i was i kind of was waiting for the other shoe to drop in some corrupt overturned to happen all the way up until the Electoral College uh, finally confirmed it just a few days or a week ago or whatever. When they finally confirmed it, I, for the first time since November 3rd, started breathing a tiny bit easier. And what does that say about uh, the state of our country that it took me like over a month after the election was concluded to finally believe that the results would go the way we knew they were supposed to go, the way the numbers promised they should go. Like it took us a full month before the law finally agreed with the facts of how many votes were counted on each side. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's interesting for me because, you know, I, I have so many thoughts about Trump and I'm, I'm gonna try to keep them brief right now because I, I have, you know, like other episodes I'm gonna have to go a little bit deeper on this on. Uh, but I, I'm gonna be having a couple different individuals coming on my podcast in the next like, um, in the next few episodes and they're Trump supporters. And, you know, we had pretty good conversations. They were very civil. They're both like pretty nice guys who I talked to, but you know, the, the one thing I don't understand is how you can be so okay with how Trump conducts himself. Like that is something that I personally just don't understand. I, I feel like it's very dangerous that he kind of operates in a way where it's like, you know, like I can never be wrong about anything. Anything that's bad that's happened against me is some kind of like, you know, witch hunts and, you know, just, and it feels like there's so many people who believe every word that he says, it just feels like, you know, I, I, I wish that there were more people, especially his own supporters who would just basically call him out for doing these things because I think it's dangerous, you know? 
So absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, that that's my that's my quick take here on Trump here. But speaking about Trump supporters, you know, in general, you know, one of the questions I'm asking to everyone who's been coming on my podcast uh, this upcoming season um, is, you know, if you could speak to somebody who uh, is politically different than you, like ideologically different, um, what is something that you would say to them, you know, about you? Because I feel like right now we're in a in a time where I feel like there's so many people who like don't understand like, oh, how could you vote Democrat or oh, how could you vote Republican? Like there's just feels like a lot of disconnect because we as a society don't really talk about politics in public ever or enough, in my opinion. So yes, what would you say to somebody who feels politically different than you if you could get a message across to them? Absolutely. I mean, I think for me, like the big keyword for like, not just Republicans, but for a whole lot of Democrats too, for everyone, pretty much the keyword is self inquiry, more and more self inquiry. Uh, instead of like, say, reading this accusation about, I don't know, maybe about Bernie being this absolute terrible avatar of evil communism because he supports socialized health care like ask yourself like why he supports socialized health care and ask yourself why you are so inherently against the idea and what about it bothers you so like just spend more time asking yourself questions i think spending more time asking yourself questions instead of taking some inflammatory remark on surface level that's probably the key to getting back into conversation with one another as human beings like the more you or excuse me the the less willing you are to engage in self-inquiry the more you're going to find yourself living in contradictions the more you're going to find yourself being like an evangelist who loathes all of these terrible things that uh trump has done and yet simultaneously sees Trump as like the best way to like maintain safety for your values like there's a whole lot of these that particular voter pocket that exists like they simultaneously have to turn a blind eye to things he's done that are very much not evangelist uh very much like against their faith against their religion in every way and yet also seeing him as the only thing that's going to save their religion from deterioration and uh i could name any number of groups that are this way it's not to pick on a religious group there they're just who came first to mind but uh if you aren't capable of engaging in more self-inquiry, then you're going to find yourself living in more and more contradictions. Okay. It's beautiful. So yes, I mean, that's very well said. Thank you for giving your take on that. Uh, with that being said, I am going to thank you again for coming on to the podcast today. I really do appreciate it. And let me, let me see here. I, um, yeah, I would love to have you back on sometime. I would love that too, Desmond, either with you or like roundtabling with other people. I really enjoy our conversation and I think you're doing such amazing good work to bring more uh, civil and functional discourse back into our politics. It's, it's kind of sad that we've reached the point where your job is necessary, but it is necessary. Oh my goodness. You know what? We, um, I'm just uh, trying to respond to an obvious need. <laughs> That's how I feel about it right now, but I do appreciate that. Thank you for coming on. And for everyone else, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with my final thoughts of the day. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Independent Thought. For those of you who are interested in donating to the podcast, 
I have started a Patreon account for Independent Thought, and the link to my Patreon account can be found in the episode notes by scrolling up on the description. You should see the link for my Patreon. Uh, to everyone who is considering donating, thank you so much. Now, to kind of finish off this episode for the day, first, I want to, again, thank my guest for this week, uh, Vladislav. Um, just for kind of like context sake, I'm sure this might be a, probably a little bit confusing. I, uh, we actually recorded that episode at the end of December. So when, you know, him and I were referencing uh, Trump's dangerous rhetoric, that was definitely before the Capitol. Uh, was sieged by a mob of people. Uh, so I guess um, we were kind of onto the the quote-unquote dangerousness, which really wasn't that hard to pick up on given how Trump was acting. However, this episode, well, my conversation particularly with him was recorded prior to the Capitol. Um, but with all that being said, thank you, Vladislav, for coming on the podcast. I hope that we're able to get you on again in the future. Uh, your conversation was really informative. I am always interested in hearing more about people who are politically engaged and their thoughts about how we can improve political engagement in this country. As I said during this episode and times previously, I think it is vastly important that everyone remains uh, engaged politically. That doesn't have to be doing something as big as becoming a political canvasser, but I think doing something as small as just checking in with the news from time to time is a really important thing, especially in these times that are not quote unquote election years. Um, so for everyone out there who is interested in being more politically active, being involved in organizations like that, I would actually point you to um, people like Vladislav. Uh, I will have you know, his information also in the episode notes if you're interested in reaching out to him and talking about uh, some of the work that he's done. And if you're interested in just doing work in your own communities, I would always say that a great place just to start would be just to look at maybe your own like city's like websites. I have found several good resources on the website of the city of Missoula. So I recommend that for people who are living in this area. I know that at least 30 to 40% of my listeners are in the state of Montana. I thank all of you who are constantly listening to this podcast. Very much appreciated. Um, I was able to kind of have an extra conversation with Vladislav after our episode ended. I'll be releasing some of that conversation on a bonus episode, not this week, but next week. So if you're subscribed, you will get that bonus content as well. And, you know, just kind of wrap up this episode. I do once again apologize that I was not able to kind of fit the entire conversation about the concentration camps into one episode, but I have been trying to not have these episodes run too long. Um, but let me know what you think after you listen to this episode and the bonus episode. Uh, DM me on Instagram. Tell me, uh, do you think that having it split into two episodes was a good idea? Should I have done it all in one episode? I want to hear uh, from you, the people. And for, for everyone who answered my question on Instagram this week about 
uh, topics that I should discuss in the future. I want you to know that I saw all of your ideas and I will be trying to incorporate them into episodes in the future. So thank you for taking the time to answer my questions on my story. Uh, for everyone else, uh, please, if you have any ideas about conversations or topics of discussion or anything in general, or if you're interested in coming on the podcast or know someone who might be, reach out to me on Instagram, DM me. Uh, let's have a conversation about how we can diversify this podcast. Thank you to everyone who is subscribed and who has listened to Independent Thought. I will see you all in the next episode. And don't forget to watch out for that bonus content coming later this week. Mm -hmm.